presence this morning as we uh, explore you a little bit farther. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So if you haven't been with us, we've been in this uh, series. I've got I have the notebook right there, Ruined a Renovation, and we are uh, 14 sermons into that, and we're going to be here for a little while longer. And we've done a lot of work. We've talked a, about a lot of stuff in here. And from this point on, we're going to talk about how uh, spiritual formation affects the six, six different aspects of the human personality, which we've addressed here in these past sermons, uh, thought and feeling and choice and body and social context and soul. Uh, but we want to remember as we do that, as we look at each one of them individually, we want to remember that they are, they are holistic with all the rest, that they affect each other and that they make up one big person, right? Um, and so today we begin with thought because thought is very powerful and we're going to be there probably for a couple of weeks because it is that important. It's, it's, a, it's a big issue for us. And I wanted to start with Genesis chapter 3 verse 1. Start with one verse and that's it. Uh, this morning, a very familiar verse, it says, now the serpent, and we know the serpent is, uh, is an image for Satan. Uh, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say... <laughs> I mean, you could just hear him saying that. Like, Did God really say, right? You must not eat from any tree in the garden, right? And uh, we know uh, that this is the beginning of the account of the fall. I'm sitting there watching Albert throw that kid in the air, and it's giving me like a heart attack back there. Sorry. Um, but we know that this is the beginning of the fall, the story or the account of the, the fall of humanity, right? The fall, the birth of, of sin in humanity, the, the moment when relationship with God and humanity was broken. And uh, notice, I want us to notice from the very beginning that uh, the overthrow of humanity uh, was achieved by one short conversation, right? One short conversation. It wasn't by force. It wasn't even loud. It was not with physical domination, or not denomination, domination. Since it, any of that would have sent us running back into the arms of, of God, right? It was by a simple, soft-spoken idea. Just an idea. That's it. A question, a doubt, an injection of thought by which we were coaxed out of the arms of God. Satan introduced the idea to us, to Adam and Eve at that moment, and Adam is a representative of all of, you, all of humankind. Satan introduced the idea to, to us that God was holding out on humankind, uh, that he wasn't acting in their favor, that he was lying to them, that he couldn't be trusted. A thought that he takes further in the conversation with Eve later on, which we're not going to read, but you can read later if you want, and leading to sin's birth into the adoption of the idea from us that God can't be trusted, that we can decide how we are going to live, that we know best what's for us, and we don't have to be obedient, and we don't have to have faith, and we don't have to walk with God anymore. And that's where it all started. Satan shot our spiritual life dead with one thought bullet. That's it. One idea, and it was over. So as thought set this whole kit and caboodle in motion, it's thought where we begin to talk about our spiritual formation or the path of heart renovation in us, right? Uh, becoming restored in Christ. 
Now, we know that we have freedom and we have choice in our thought. We, we understand that. But we're not as free as we'd like to think, right? You take 10 seven-year-olds and you throw them in a room and you say, draw a house. And although there, there's going to be some individuality in their results, most of them will look shockingly similar since the concept of houseness is built into them by society. It reveals to us that our thinking is vastly influenced by each other and, and that thought is passed on from one person to another uh, and that, that it's influenced by our, our whole environment that we see. You drive down the road, you see houses. So you can't think of a house too easily in another way. Read Francis Schaeffer's Escape from Reason, a book I recommend to everybody, and you'll quickly see how Western thought's been shaped and formed throughout the history of mankind with events and voices and how also we are so tied to its dictations. We're not that free in our thought. Read Crime and Punishment by Dostoevsky and and you'll realize how ideological thought or philosophies drive our actions to commit even the most atrocious crimes that we wouldn't normally commit. Read Of Human Bondage by Somerset Maugham and notice how ideas of self and others keep us in bondage to insecurity and fear our whole lives. Crime and Punishment and Of Human Bondage are both on the top 50 book lists. Like they're, they're like one of the books that you should read in life. And I believe that. We see the power of thought right now in the recent development of personhood theory. You may or may not know what that is. But it's where the, the, the argument, and I, I know people have, I, I don't want anybody to um, think I'm attacking somebody that may have gone through the abortion process. I'm certainly not doing that. I know that there are deep scars there for many people, and I, I'm not saying that. But we do see that uh, thought, this recent development of thought in personhood theory, where the argument for abortion is no longer about the question of when does life start. At this point, in the whole, from pro-choice to pro-life, Everybody believes and agrees that life starts at conception. That used to not be the case, right? You would think that would be a win for pro-lifers, but it's not. Because uh, the new question is, when does personhood begin? That's the new question in the whole argument of pro-choice and pro-life. Personhood theory creates a new category for us, the human non-person, right? So since the postmodern mind doesn't really... uh, believe that bodily matter is that important or, or that it's at least less important than everything else, and which is the reason why we have 70 different categories for human sexuality now. Only personhood matters. And as a result, there are certain bioethicists out there and certain other voices out there who claim personhood doesn't even begin until years after a child is born. Now, follow the logic. Therefore, they advocate that although a body is a living, breathing human being, it is not a person until it reaches a certain cognitive level, and therefore it can be disposed of without any moral quandary, without any guilt. So they therefore advocate for not only late-term abortions, but aborting life even into toddler years. And I say all that to, to say to you that thought is very, 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 very powerful. It can drive us to the most atrocious of things. 
Our thoughts are all the ways in which we are conscious of things from memory to belief, from image to idea, from perception to mental picture of the world around us. They govern everything about us in some way, right? And they are intimately tied to our feelings. Feelings can even be directed by our thoughts. But we, can, we can choose our thoughts, but we don't necessarily choose how we feel, Right? Thought enables us to grasp the reality before us and dip into that which isn't already there yet, right? To, the, the, but something that might be true in the future. If, for instance, if you're a Trekkie, if you love Star Trek and you watch the old ones, right? Uh, what was his name? Captain Captain Kirk, yeah. Captain Kirk, right? You know that, w- that many a gadget on that original show, I think it was began, begun in the 1960s, if I'm not mistaken. Many a gadget on that that show were imagined. They weren't real. They, they hadn't been invented, but now they are a reality. For instance, wireless video conferencing was not available then, but it's available now. You can do it on your phone, in the palm of your hand. See, thought must run ahead in creative ways to plan for the future and to see that which isn't then, there yet become a later reality, which is very reflective of our Creator God in whose image we were made, if you really think about it. Our Creator God created us to be creative beings. There are four main aspects or factors of thought. Ideas and images and our uh, information and then our ability to think. And and with the two most powerful being ideas and images, that's what we're going to focus today. Ideas are the general models or the patterns of interpretation of our reality, right? They're historically developed and they are socially shared. They're passed on to each other. They are sometimes linked with our beliefs, but they're not dependent on our beliefs. And that's why we can live by ideas in our life that are vastly contradictory to what we say that we believe, which we all do, right? Right? Our system of ideas grows out of our te- the teachings, the expectations, and the behaviors of our family and of the community around us and our whole environment, right? We get our ideas together, but they're always changing. They're always shifting, even without our knowing it. We're not that free, right? For instance, many, many people feel that their ideas concerning of what America is, America, are very different from their parents, Right? Yet both feel very convicted in, their, in their, their beliefs about what America is or their idea of what America is. No, not one of them can pinpoint a time in the shift of their thinking from, like, from child to parent, right? They can't pinpoint that time, that shift in thinking. It just morphed a little, bit, a little, little by little over time and opinions are suddenly very, very divergent, right? Some examples of ideas are freedom, and education, and happiness, and the American dream, and science, and progress, and death, and home, and what is a feminine role, and what is the masculine role, and what is a Christian, and what is a Muslim, and what is church, and what is democracy, and fairness, and justice, and family, and evolution, and God, and the secular, and all that stuff. Those are all ideas that that we are hit with, we are governed with, and all that kind of stuff. And what we find is that Satan attacked right at our idea of God, right at the heart of of what we think of God, right? How we perceive God. That's where he attacked us. He distorted what or who God was in our thinking and how we think. 
And it was like a silent bomb that went off in us internally and sending everything in us on a trajectory out and away from God. Humanity was suddenly disconnected from the divine. No longer are our ideas in society linked to divinely ordered peace, love, and unity sustaining life. Rather, it's destructive entropy leading to conflict and death. Don't believe me? Turn on the news. Right? We are made in the, in the image of God. An image that has been shattered by the fall. One which we, in, in which we still reflect Him in many ways, but in many ways we don't. And only an image that is restored in Jesus fully. Ideas have a very strong hold on us. Extremely strong hold. We can be so rooted in our ideas that we can actually stop thinking. Right? And when ideas get challenged in a person like that, the person comes out swinging since they feel their very existence and their very, very identity is being threatened, right? And in conflicting thoughts, society splinters off into differing camps and we have violence, which we see in American society right now. They say that this shift in thinking right now in America is greater than the 1960s. That, that, that what we're going through in America right now in a shift of thinking is so strong that we don't even realize it, right? Um, ideas of safety, of justice, of true systematic societal or individual change or healthy morality can't be, as a Christian, we believe that they can't be implemented and achieved through any political system or any outside organizational control those systems only run as well as the character of the people that are, that are within them, right? So the world's recourse in trying to change society or change the world is only through coercion and only through control. They can only attack the outward behavioral level of people. They can only put laws in place and rules in place and things like that. But Scripture teaches that those concepts of safety and justice and all that stuff are only achieved through the implementation of the gospel on the hearts of mankind. That when our heart is changed, the kingdom reign of God becomes real in us one more time. Then we become people that are healthy and good. Internal change. That's what we've been talking about for 14 sermons. Replacing the idea Satan injected into Adam with the true image of God as found in Christ via the scriptural story. That's what we've been talking about. That and that alone makes for healthy human beings and that and that alone makes for healthy human systems. So we like to say here that loving evangelism is always the answer. Bringing people into the kingdom of God is to make the world a better place. Loving evangelism coupled with spiritual formation is always the answer in in attacking the societal ills that we face. Because good spiritual formation in Christ, once we become a believer in Jesus, we give our life to him, good spiritual formation, changing into the likeness of Christ, will recognize the idea systems in us and in our culture which drive us all away from God, and it will transform them to be in line with the Scriptures. Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2. 2 Corinthians 3, 18, which we've looked at recently. Romans 15, 13, great verse. The pursuit of the kingdom of God within us. The God's reign reestablished in our thinking. Bleeding out to our behavior. As Paul said in Ephesians 6.12, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, 
but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. See, you've got to realize that our dilemma began in chapter 3 of Genesis. Our dilemma was born out of evil forces, and evil forces continually perpetuate the problem. Forces which reinforce evil systems of ideas which drive us and the rest of humanity away from the divine. Always, always. It is a spiritual battle that we live in. If you want to avoid that, good luck. You can't. Because those who have been rescued from the dominion of darkness, Christians who have given their life to Christ, rescued from the dominion of darkness and have been brought into the kingdom of the Son that God loves, Colossians chapter 1, are called to have the same mindset as of Christ Jesus, Philippians chapter 2. They are called to be transformed into the renewal of our minds, Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2. Contemplate His glory as we are transformed into His image, 2 Corinthians three eighteen, And to be filled with the Spirit, Ephesians 5, and to overflow with hope to the world, Romans fifteen thirteen. But transformation... Spiritual transformation and true spiritual change from darkness to light in our thinking is gut-wrenching divine work. We can't achieve it on our own. We do need God's grace. We do need God's mercy. And we do need the leading of the Holy Spirit. And we do need the Word of God. And here's the secret. It affects others around us. When I change into the likeness of Christ, it changes the relationships I'm involved in right? Even Jesus warned his message would bring division in relationships. Luke chapter 12. Do you think that I came to bring peace on the earth? No, I tell you, but division. Now we know that Jesus came to bring peace. We know that he is ultimately, the kingdom of God is the shalom of God. It is is the peaceful reign of God in, in the world. But in the meantime, it's going to divide people because people want to hold on to their evil thoughts, their evil systems, the way that they do things, right? Because he goes on in that chapter to describe the idea that the gospel or following Jesus in his teaching and how he lives will, will even divide family relationships. Mother against daughter, father against son. Jesus' idea of the kingdom of God got him crucified, right? Even though we saw that death doesn't keep him down. His message was a challenge to the political systems and all of the thought systems of control which have set themselves against the kingdom reign of God in this world. They were just naturally that. They were just naturally set against those things. He didn't storm the steps of City Hall. He wasn't all political and all that stuff. That's not what I'm saying. He didn't need to do that. They'd drag him there later for the idea that the kingdom of God was here now among them and in them and that their first and foremost uh, allegiance is to God the Father and not to Caesar. As Satan quietly injected this idea or his idea, Jesus simply did the same. Satan conquered the world through one conversation. Jesus took it back with one act of sacrifice. The idea of Jesus challenges every aspect of our lives, including the relationships that we're involved in. If you think that you can get away with following Jesus without having conflict, good luck. 
It's not going to happen. It's not that you're looking for conflict. But when you really are following Jesus, you have to choose his lordship over other things. Another part of thought that is equally as powerful as ideas are images. And unlike ideas, images are concrete in us. They are specific and they are heavily laden with with feelings, right? For instance, dreadlocks have a certain image for people. It's either positive or negative. When you see a guy walking down the street with dreadlocks, you think, you know, a good thing or a bad thing about that person. And our our thoughts typically go to free love and Rastafarianism and throwing off convention and smoking weed all day. I can't tell you how many times I've walked down the street with some guy following me. Dude, give me a joint. Because he thinks that I got weed because I got dreadlocks, right? But if you guys know, you guys know me, I'm the polar opposite of those things, right? Polar opposite right? My internal thinking does not match the societal image people have for the, the, that they ascribe to a man with dreadlocks, right? Think about baggy pants and uh, worn down below your butt, right? Think about the emotional reaction people have to that image. Uh, what does the image of the American flag do in you? What do you think it does to an Afghani or a Pakistani or a Saudi Arabian? I saw a guy the other day with old sneakers on and, uh, you know, baggy green sweatpants and a baggy green, green satin jacket with the eagle's insignia on it and an eagle stocking hat on. Where do you think I think he lives? The, either Philly or Delaware County, right? That is an image of Delaware County. I, I know the accent that guy's going to speak with, right? I just know it, right? Maybe I'm wrong, but that's the image I have, Right? Compare, that, compare the imagery of 6-8 and what we do here on Sunday mornings with that of Good Shepherd. How different that is. Some of you saw this morning, Father Ian walked in to grab some of our milk. I guess they don't have any downstairs. To get some milk for his coffee. And he's got his priestly robe on. I mean, look at me compared to Father Ian, right? That guy's, you know, you would think that he knows a lot more than I do. He probably does, actually. But, <laughs> but the imagery is different. And we have emotional reactions to that, right? Some of you grew up in the Catholic Church and you, you're like, oh, I don't want to go back there because of the imagery. I'm not saying anything bad about the Catholic Church. But you, you react to the imagery, right? Jesus himself knew the power of imagery and he became one himself by his death on the cross, right? How many people have painted that picture, right? That image means something different to different people. How do you think the Vikings reacted to, to the cross? If you've seen the show, right, Vikings? You know they didn't like the cross. They didn't like that. They saw it as a sign of weakness, right? What do you think Muslims think of the cross from the Crusades and even up until now? They don't like the the cross, right? It means something different to them than it does to me. It's an image heavily laden with feeling. Ideas and images are extremely powerful in us. They determine how we regard everything in daily life. They control the meanings that we assign to things, and they can even blind us uh, to something plainly right before our eyes. For instance, if my image of women is ungodly and born out of this, a, a life of visually ingesting images that are less than flattering of them, or which only focuses on their bodies for the purposes of satiating my fleshly desires, then I'll not be able to appreciate women or learn from women or value women or value their intellect or value their opinion, and I'll overlook their gifting and not utilize them in certain roles that they would thrive in. I would keep them down. Imagery is powerful. 
guys. Ideas and images can be either good or bad. They can be godly or evil. And I'm saying right now that it is that black and white. It is that different. And many images are strongholds of evil in the world, and therefore they are strongholds of evil in us. And we can have them in us without us even thinking about it. Remember, you have to think about how you think. You have to think about how you think because thought is the primary way in which the evil one seeks to undermine God's kingdom plans in our lives. The most important thing in our life, let me say that again, the most important thing in our life is the idea of God and the corresponding images we relate to our idea of him, right? A.W. Tozer once said that that our idea of God corresponds as nearly as possible to the true being of God is of immense importance to us. Now listen to this. Compared with our actual thoughts about him, our creedal statements are of little consequence. Remember earlier I said we can actually live under ideas that are totally contradictory to what we say we believe. That's exactly what he just said right there. Our real idea of God may lie buried under the rubbish of conventional religious notions. Some of my, my wife grew up in a church where you weren't allowed to dance and you weren't allowed to drink. Where does Scripture say that? It doesn't say that. That's a religious notion that somebody made up, Right? Our real idea of God may lie buried under the the rubbish of conventional religious notions and may require an intelligent and vigorous search before it's finally unearthed and exposed for what it is. Only after an ordeal of painful self-probing are we likely to discover what we actually believe about God. That is the spiritual formation process. That is the process that many of us don't want to get into. Because it is hard. A right conception of God is basic not only to systematic theology, but to practical Christian living as well. It is to worship what the foundation is to the temple. Where it is inadequate or out of plumb, the whole structure must sooner or later collapse. In other words, where your image of God, your beliefs about God are faulty and not informed by the Scriptures and not led by the Holy Spirit, your faith will crumble in times of need. It won't man up. I believe there is scarcely an error in doctrine or a failure in applying Christian ethics that cannot be traced, finally, to imperfect or ignoble thoughts about God. Great quote. Our image of God is, to all effective purposes, the theology out of which we live, be it correct or incorrect. Which is why it is of utmost importance for us to, be willingly, to willingly put ourselves in the receiving position with the Holy Spirit to have our life's hard disk rewritten by the Word of God. I did a sermon once called Palimpsests. You may not know what a palimpsest is, and I didn't know what it was either until I ran across it. Um, a palimpsest was a tablet uh, like an old stone ta- tablet in ancient times that they would cover in wax, and then, then they would scratch in writing. You know, if they had a letter they wanted to write, they would scratch it in there. And then somehow they would, like, put uh, ink over top of that and kind of wipe off the ex- in, excess and then put a piece of paper on it and print from that, right? And then when they wanted to reuse the tablet, they would just scrape it off, and then they would scratch something else in there, and they would do the whole process again. But many times they wouldn't scrape it off enough the old writing off enough so you would actually get on the next printing you'd get two different like 
you get old writing and new writing, right? Our lives are some, sometimes like that, right? In that we have that old writing in us, those, that old stuff in us that's bleeding through in the printing process. We've not allowed the Word of God, we've not allowed the Holy Spirit to scrape away the lies that we've believed about God and about church and about creation and about all this stuff, all the ideas right out there, right? We've not rewritten who God is on our hearts, which in, es- in essence defines who we, re- we truly are. Henry Nouwen noted, success popularity and power can indeed present a great temptation, but their seductive quality often comes from the way that they are part of a much larger temptation of self-rejection. Now, I want to stop right there, and I want to define that self-rejection is a concept in the negative. We've talked about recently self-denial. That's in the positive. Self-denial is the, the, uh, the denying our, uh, ourselves of the things that would feed our sinful nature, so we become healthier, more like Jesus and, and what we were truly created to be. Self-rejection is rejecting all things about us because we feel like we're worthless. And that is not what God wants to do, us to do. God created us in His image. And we are, we are wonderful things in, in many ways, right? So uh, often comes from the way that they are a part of a much larger temptation of self-rejection. We have to come to believe in the voice. We have come to believe uh, in the voices that call us worthless and unlovable, and then, then success and popularity and power are easily perceived as attractive solutions. Self-rejection is the greatest enemy of the spiritual life because it contradicts the basic voice, God's voice, that calls us beloved. Being the beloved constitutes the core truth of our existence. You are the beloved of God. God loves you. He created you in His image. That image may be broken here and there, but it is being restored in Christ. He loves you enough to do that, right? And we see this this stuff, this very thing in the rest of the story of the fall. You know, what was the fall's effect? What happened there, right? To set the stage, Adam and Eve have believed a lie. He's lied to them. They believed it. They've owned it. You know, all this kind of stuff. And now... The man and, the woman, and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Now realize, this is the first time they ever felt the need to hide from God. The first time. Never did they feel that need. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? Did you feel that call? Where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden, And what did he do? I was afraid because I was naked. In other words, I was vulnerable. And I hid. Oh, that touches my soul. It really does. You've got to understand that right there when you read that, it's not just something you read in Sunday school. This is definitive of who we are. Our image of God, when our image of a God gets twisted, our, immediately, our view of self is twisted. We are that linked to, to our Creator. Shame is the automatic and natural result of a breaking of relationship with God. And what happens? Chaos ensues as people search for fulfillment and love in all the wrong places, as the song, song says. <clears throat> we think we can live on our own. 
See, we live in a time right now that God is still calling out to humanity, where are you? Where are you? And as Christians, we have to answer, I, I'm here, I hid, because I was naked and I was ashamed. But I realize now that you're okay, and that you love me, and that you want to restore me. Now the other part of that is that we've got somebody by the hand that doesn't know him yet, and we drag them out of the forest, and we say, come and meet your maker. Come and meet Jesus, who loves you enough to die for you. Have you told anybody about that in the past year? Because it's that important, and it's that wonderful, and it's that true. And as we do prayer ministry over people, and as we do spiritual counseling over people, and as we do evangelism with people, what we are confronting is wrong images and ideas of God in them, working to loosen their grip on, on people in order that the Holy Spirit can restore proper image of self to reflect a proper image of God via the living word, word, word. And by doing so, we're making a better world. Outside of God's initial work of salvation and the power of the Holy Spirit and His constant supply of grace to us, the greatest tools we have are the constant work of building on these good images of Jesus via the Scriptures. Letting it define what life is to us and who we are in light of Christ. And this is where war, spiritual war, is mostly waged. In our minds, in our thoughts. Taking each one of those thoughts captive to Christ is to match our thoughts with who God really is as He's revealed Himself in the Scriptures and in our lives as we walk this this whole thing out with the Holy Spirit. We want to increasingly, like 2 Corinthians 4 says, see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ in our world. We want to realize and practice what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 10. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. I don't go attacking people. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds, to demolish thoughts, to demolish evil systems. We demolish arguments, which are thoughts, and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, knowledge is thought, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And to live in this matter, we've got to admit and submit to what Isaiah said in in, uh, chapter 55 of his book. He said, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, talking, God speaking here, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are, are, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Humbles you, right? But even though that's true, we also remember that 2 Peter 1, chapter 1, verse 3, his divine power has given us everything that we need, everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. So although we won't fully understand everything about God, we've got everything we need to do so. The transformation of thought can be seen in Paul's writing in Colossians chapter 3. It's a little lengthy, but I think it's worth The read, he talks about the old self as compared to the new self, right? He says, since then you have been raised with Christ, you've given your life to Jesus, 
John chapter 3, Nicodemus, you've got to be born again. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is. Now, above doesn't mean like up there in the sky someplace. It means on the wonderful things of God. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died. Your old sinful self died. And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. That's a promise. So then he talks about the old self. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, and God gets to define sexual immorality, by the way, not me. Impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. He is coming to judge those things. He will judge those things in humanity. You used to walk in these ways. Used to. Past tense. In the life you once lived. You were part of humanity that didn't know God. You were separated from Him. Now you're not. But now you must also rid yourselves of all things like such as this. Anger. That's easy to live in, right? Rage. Malice. Slander. Filthy language from your lips. <laughs> Do not lie to each other. Since you have taken off your old self with its practices. Just watch this video that we put up on the 6-8 Facebook page of Phil Strout, the national director, talking about the scriptures. And he's like, from the scriptures I've understood what it means to be honest or what it means to tell the truth. And have put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of its creator. Listen to the wording. It's being renewed in the knowledge, the thoughts, the image of its creator, right? Here there is no Gentile or Jew. Listen to this. This is great. Talk about the racism issues in America. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, uncircumcised or circumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. That's revolutionary. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves. Now, this is talking about the new self, right? Clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. Imagine if all Christians everywhere in America were doing this right now. Bear with each other. Sometimes people just upset you. I won't use the word I want to use. Sometimes they upset you. And you just got to bear with them. That's it. Forgive one another. If, if any of you has any grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And He forgave you for quite a lot. So you got no excuse. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Mm. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Allow it. Open yourself up to Jesus. Allow Him to define you. Since as members of one body, you were called to peace. Even though the message of Christ will bring division in relationships, we are to be peaceful people. We're to seek peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you. That's the knowledge, the thoughts, the, the message of Jesus dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish. So we share these thoughts. We pass these godly thoughts on to each other. Admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms. How do we do it? Through the words through the songs, through the prayers, with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. These songs are actually pretty important that we, that we sing because they are reinforcing the truth of Scripture, the truth of what God is and who God is to the world. And whatever you do, 
Whatever you do, I love this verse, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Is everything you do or say or think done (laughs) for the Lord? That's a challenging comment, right? But the point is that Colossians chapter 3 gives us this mental image of the old self as compared to the new self. The old thing that we're leaving behind and the new thing that we're pursuing in our spiritual formation. The ideas, the images of unredeemed humanity do not treat all people with truth and love. They don't. The worldly systems don't treat people with truth and love. Humanity governed by the mind of God does. And by the way, as I said earlier, it's unconcerned with racial or cultural or nationalistic differences. Totally unconcerned with them. Why? Because all people are the new humanity in Christ. We are the new Adam, along with Jesus. Since as 1 Corinthians 2 states, we have the mind of Christ. Philippians 2, 5 states, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as that of Christ Jesus. That's a lot. I'll leave you with that this week. <laughs> oh, it was fun to write. I hope you like, like listen to it. But um, next week we'll explore a little bit more of how we see this transformation occur when we explore the two factors of other factors of human thought: information and our ability to think. We'll go. We'll go from there.